Hello, romance book lovers. Welcome to Tales from the Heart. I'm Jenna Hart, and each week I post new episodes from my stories of crime and passion. Right now we're listening to Old Flames Never Die, book two of the Valentine Mysteries. This week is episode six, chapter 11, where we figure out where Jack is off to and what interesting tidbit does Tess learn about the murder of Charles Danforth. If you'd like to read along or get ahead in the story, you can get Old Flames Never Die from your favorite ebook retailer or save by buying direct from me. You can visit jennahart.com forward slash valentine for more information. Old Flames Never Die is the second book in the Valentine Mystery series. If you missed book one, Deadly Valentine, you can listen by checking earlier episode postings, or if you'd like to read it, you can get the book for free at my website, jennahart.com. Now, Tales from the Heart is posted to podcast platforms and YouTube each week. These episodes are edited to censor out intimate content. If you'd like to have a version that includes the spicier bits, plus get early access to the episodes, behind-the-scenes information about the stories, bonus content, and more, join me on Ream. Learn more at reamstories.com forward slash Jenna Hart. Now, never miss the mystery or romance by hitting the subscribe button. And remember that all the details and links that you might need are just a click away in the description. Now, snuggle up, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Chapter 11 Jack hadn't consciously decided to head to Northern Virginia, but as he passed the last exit that would keep him in Jefferson Tavern, he knew he needed to get away, away from the Worthingtons, away from small-town gossip, and, if he was honest with himself, away from Tess, too. Not that he didn't love her and want to be with her, but she was so damn frustrating and he couldn't trust himself not to say or do something to blow the whole deal. The idea that he had to censor himself around her made him even angrier. He couldn't understand her reasoning for moving out. By her rules he could see her, even make love to her, but they couldn't live in the same house. What was the difference? Just as annoying was her insistence that Liv was up to no good and that he was too blinded by lust or loyalty to notice he was being manipulated. The lust part was ridiculous. Sure, Liv was beautiful in that superficial store-bought way, but he wasn't attracted to her. Ultimately, Tess didn't trust him, didn't trust that he could be faithful or that he knew what he was doing. There were moments he thought he'd give in, tell Liv he was sorry but he couldn't help her, but a part of him recoiled at the idea. It would mean sacrificing a piece of himself, and he'd probably end up resenting Tess for that. He already resented that she had the power to bring him to his knees while she could so easily move out. He pounded his fist into the steering wheel. Damn her. He merged onto the main route running to northern Virginia, determined to take time to sort through his life. The first thing, though, was to deal with the Worthingtons. It was time to cut his losses. He'd made an effort to work with them for reasons he couldn't quite remember, but now he'd had enough. He pressed the button on his dash and heard the musical beeps as it dialed Brad. I need you to go to Jefferson Tavern tomorrow and get me out of the Worthington deal. Who is this? Jack rolled his eyes. It's Jack, your boss. It's after six. I'm not on the clock. Then I'll call tomorrow at 5 a.m. and tell you to get your ass out of bed and get me out of the Worthington deal. Have Tess do it. She's a lawyer. Jack usually didn't mind sparring with Brad, but he wasn't in the mood now. She's busy doing some consulting with the police. Really? 
She's decided to be a consultant? Smart move. Lawyers and consultants make big money, but a consulting lawyer... Can I count on you? Yeah, yeah, I told you not to do it in the first place. Save the, I told you so for some time when I don't feel like I might fire you. You won't fire me. Not now anyway, because I'm the only one you can browbeat to get you out of the Worthington deal. Brad said, either oblivious or not caring about Jack's foul mood. Do they know you want out? No. Well, that ought to be fun. Where are you going to be? I'll be at my place in Arlington. I thought I'd spend some time with Cora. One battlefield to another, eh? Something like that. Brad was partly right. Relations with Cora had been strained since he started spending more time in Jefferson Tavern. He'd tried to get her to stay with him and Tess, but she insisted that she'd only get in the way of the ring-a-ding. She was certain they did all day, every day, in every way. He supposed there had been times she'd been right. Well, if I have to get up in the middle of the night to deal with the Worthingtons, I need to meditate and get myself in the right mind. Have a drink for me, too, Jack said, knowing Brad's meditation was a hundred proof. They hung up, and with the click of the phone, Jack could feel tension sliding away. One problem solved. Dealing with Tess wouldn't be so easy. He couldn't send Brad to handle that for him. He just wished she'd give him the benefit of the doubt. He understood her fears. He even got that she didn't like Liv's story, but she should trust him. Liv had made passes, and he shot her down both times because he wasn't interested. Liv was attractive, and he knew from experience that she was creative in bedroom games. But with Tess, he'd learned that there really was a difference between sex and making love, and he preferred the latter. And Tess was pretty creative herself in that respect. He shook his head to rid it of erotic thoughts of Tess that would only weaken his resolve to get away. His Bluetooth beeped and Liv's name crossed the screen on the panel. He let out a curse. She was another problem he needed to manage. He pressed the engage button. Hi, Liv. I've been wanting to call all day but wasn't sure I should. About the article in the paper. Did you see it? Yes. Are you mad? I'm not happy about it. And Tess? What about Tess? She barely acknowledged it. What did that mean? Was she already detaching herself from him and so it didn't matter to her? She knows there was nothing to it. Good. I was worried. I'd hate for my mess to ruin things with you two. No worries, he lied. Jefferson Tavern is a beautiful area, but the people can be so nosy and small-minded. Yes. Are you all right? You sound strange. He sighed. I'm in my car. You're on speakerphone. Oh, is to... No, it's just me. Not that I said anything wrong, but... It's fine. Jack, I hate to do this, but Charles's funeral is the day after tomorrow. Is there a chance you can be there? Jack wanted to say no. Not because it might further complicate his life, but because Liv was another issue he needed time away from. But a funeral wasn't something you could just blow off when a friend was in need. Yeah, sure. He could hear her sigh of relief. I can't tell you how much that means to me. Charles's son and daughter-in-law just showed up and... Well, I don't want to get into it. But Jack, you're the only friend I can trust here, and I could really use the support. I'll be there. As they hung up, Jack realized that for the most part he was alone in Jefferson Tavern, too. The Worthingtons wanted to claim him, but only for the money he could bring them. Tess was the only reason he was still in Jefferson Tavern. In fact, 
He'd been getting ready to sell his home and leave Jefferson Tavern for good when he'd run into her again. He had stayed because he wanted to see what they could make together, but now he realized that he needed to rethink his living situation. He still wanted Tess, but he wasn't sure he could build a life in Jefferson Tavern where people either wanted something from him or were suspicious of him. The question was, would Tess leave Jefferson Tavern to be with him? As he drove into Manassas and headed towards I-66 to take him to Arlington, he suspected the answer was probably no. Oh, God, did she dump you again? Cora sat on the couch in Jack's penthouse apartment the next morning, eating her breakfast of grits with butter and pork sausage, and watching a morning news show. Jack shook his head. He wasn't really surprised that she was in his apartment instead of the one next door that he bought for her. But having just woken up after a long, restless night thinking about Tess, he wasn't ready to deal with Cora. No. Then why you here? Why are you here? He grumbled as he headed to the kitchen, hoping Cora had made enough coffee that he could steal a cup. Did you fight? Because you're in a pisser mood. Jack was able to get three quarters of a cup of coffee from the pot. He returned to the living area and sat in the chaise lounge chair he'd bought for Tess. It's too early and I haven't had nearly enough coffee. He sipped the piping brew and willed his nerves to settle. He'd known Cora all his life. She'd been good friends with his parents and a surrogate grandmother to him. She'd helped him and his mother when his father was killed in the line of duty as a D.C. police detective. She'd helped his mother when she suffered from terminal cancer. And she tried to help him after his mother died. But he learned several months ago that there was nothing surrogate about Cora. She was, in fact, his biological grandmother who'd whisked him away and placed him for adoption when his birth mother was murdered. It was a lie that still bothered him. He felt Cora's eyes bore into him. You haven't taken up with that hussy again, have you? What are you talking about? I saw the news. I saw how her husband was murdered. I bet she did it. No wonder Tess tossed you out. Tess didn't... And now I'm really mad because I don't want to feel bad for Tess and you're putting me in that position. Tess and I are fine. He hoped it was true. Then why are you here? I thought I'd take you to the spa you like, maybe some lunch. If he distracted her, maybe she'd stop talking about Tess and live. I want a Petty and Manny. He nodded. Fine. Cora was silent, but Jack knew it couldn't last. You sure you're not with that skank? Tess was disappointed when Jack didn't show up at her door with breakfast. Disappointment turned to worry when he didn't pick up his phone when she called. She left a message and decided she needed to focus on the work she'd agreed to do for Daniel. The son and daughter-in-law are in town. Sam and I were planning on talking to them today and maybe you'd like to join in. Daniel called to give her an update that morning. I would, but I'd also like to go down to Bucks County to find out about the land Dan Forth and Wilson were planning to develop. She left out the part about how the senator's interest in the land increased her suspicion that there was something more to the Danforth-Wilson partnership. How about we meet this afternoon? I have some other cases I need to work on this morning. Perfect. Tess enjoyed the ride down to Bucks County. May was the reward for surviving winter. Tess hated winter, and in particular, February in Virginia. Everything was cold, dead, and dark. March and April were improvements, but it wasn't until May, 
with its green trees and colorful blooms that gave vibrant life to the world, that Tess felt like winter was finally over. Altho, she thought, this last February hadn't been so bad once Jack re-entered her life. The road south took her through the green horse country and over the James River that ran from the Allegheny Mountains to the Chesapeake Bay. As a teen, and even in college, Tess, Kate, and other friends spent many lazy summer afternoons drifting in inner tubes with a rope tied to a cooler full of whatever alcoholic beverage they'd been able to get their hands on. In Tess's case, she preferred homemade wine coolers. She smiled at the thought. The cliché. Those were the days came to mind. In those days, she'd been outgoing, even a little reckless, not just in life, but in love as well. She knew better now. When she got to the property, she parked on the side of the road and got out of her car. The land owned by Charles Danforth and Bobby Wilson looked like a giant red clay hole. Several backhoes and dump trucks stood quiet on the land that had been scraped away like the icing off a cake. Tess didn't know much about land development, but it seemed to her that more dirt had been moved than was necessary. She wondered what it was about the spot that required so much dirt to be cleared away, and if it could be the source of dispute Liv mentioned between Charles and Bobby. Was the land bad? Was the deal falling apart? She snapped a picture with her phone, and then got into the car to head to the county office building. The brick structure of the Bucks County Clerk's Office and Courthouse had been designed by Thomas Jefferson, as had many of the buildings throughout central Virginia. The original building had burned in the 1800s, but was rebuilt using the same plans Jefferson had created. Tess always enjoyed entering historic buildings, walking in the footsteps of lawmakers 200 years before her. She wondered what they'd think that a woman lawyer was walking in their hallowed halls. She entered the registrar's office hoping that, despite the old architecture, access to documents was available in a more modern technological form. Can I help you? An older woman with bluish-gray hair in a lime-green polyester suit met Tess at the help counter. Yes, I was hoping to get information on a planned development on Route 687 owned by DW Enterprises. What sort of information? Deeds? Yes, I'd like to see a deed, and maybe the plat and building permits. I can look up deed information on the computer, but you'll need to pay for a copy. Plats are housed down the hall, and you'll need to visit the planning office for information on permits. I'll start with the deed then. The deed didn't offer anything Tess didn't already know. She suspected that Daniel probably had a copy of the deed, but she sprung for a copy of her own, then headed down to the building and planning office. The woman at that counter was probably the same age as the first women, but with her dyed blonde hair and drawn-on eyebrows, she looked older. Tess explained to the woman what she wanted. Oh, isn't that the man who was killed recently in Jefferson Tavern? Yes. Is this part of the murder investigation? The woman asked with enthusiasm. I've never been questioned about murder before, so little ever happens down here. Actually, I'm a lawyer. Oh, well, let me see what I can find about that property. What property? A weathered man asked as he entered the office. Tess determined he was probably one of the inspectors who spent more time out in the field than in an office. Hey, Joe, this woman is asking about that property the man who was killed owned. She turned to Tess. This is Joe. He knows everything about everyone around here. 
Just their land. Joe corrected. Are you talking about the land owned by Charles Danforth? Yes, and his partner, Bobby Wilson. I drove by and saw the land was being cleared. Cleared? No, that land is being mined. Mined? Tess scanned her mind for what sort of mineral or rock would be in the Piedmont of Virginia. Is there coal? No, it's kyanite. Kyanite. Pretty little rock. Joe explained. The woman behind the counter nodded. Bright blue when polished. Is it a valuable gem? Tess knew a thing or two about precious stones, mostly because her mother had a fortune in them. But kyanite wasn't one Tess had ever heard of. Some people polish it up for a gem, but its worth is industrial. It's heat-resistant and used in all sorts of things, from auto parts to toilet bowls. Toilet bowls? I was led to believe they were going to build houses there. That was the original plan until they dug up some kyanite. Tess thought a moment. Did the company own the mineral rights? Joe furrowed his brow. I guess so. Mr. Danforth does anyway. He spent a lot of time down there before he was killed. And he hasn't been protesting the mining as many landowners who suddenly discover that someone else can dig on their land usually do. Tess thanked the two and headed to the registrar's office again. Can I see who owns the mineral rights to the property on 687? Well, didn't I just get that for you? The woman's pinched face suggested she thought Tess wasn't right in the head. Yes, you showed me the deed to the land, but not the mineral rights. Down the hall, I was told they were mining the land. I'm wondering who owns those rights. Charles Danforth, LLC. Do you want a copy? Interesting. Yes, please. Tess stopped at the first coffee cafe with a free Wi-Fi sign on the window, which, despite the rural area, wasn't far. She bought a small mocha without whipped cream and powered up her laptop. Once online, she headed to the Commonwealth of Virginia's State Corporation Commission's website to do a search on Charles Danforth, LLC. The entity was listed, but not as a partnership. The results wouldn't let her see if there were any other members of the LLC, but Tess had a nagging feeling that Charles was the sole owner and manager. Interesting. If Charles owned the mineral rights, his claim to the land would take precedence over the partnership's ownership of the land. Tess knew enough about real estate law to know that Charles could stop the housing development to mine the land, and his partner wouldn't have any recourse. And if Charles was sole owner of the mining rights, his partner would not reap the benefits of the mining, but would be stuck with part ownership of a property that could be worthless once the mining was done. Tess sat back in her chair. That could certainly be a motive for murder. Back in her car, Tess headed north toward Jefferson Tavern, rethinking her beliefs about the Danforth murder. When she started working with Daniel, she told herself that she was open-minded about who the killer could be. But now that she had a more viable suspect in Bobby Wilson, she realized that despite her best attempts, she had been biased against Liv. That didn't change the fact that Liv was trying to move in on Jack, but it certainly made her less of a suspect in her husband's murder. But Tess was still bothered by Liv's statements. Her alibi and readied receipts were just too perfect. Tess wondered if maybe Liv and Bobby were involved together. Tess was so deep in thought that she didn't notice the dark pickup truck that barreled up behind her until it started to pass her on the narrow two-lane road. Jerk. Tess applied the brakes to let the truck pass. It pulled up alongside her. 
the window lowered halfway. What the hell? And then she saw the gun. Instinct had her stepping on the brakes and ducking at the same time. She heard the gunfire and felt the glass from her window spray over her. The car dipped on the passenger side and Tess the world start to spin. Her body jerked to the side, slamming her heat into the steering wheel. She felt a blast and then burning along her shoulders and upper back. Like a rag doll, her body bounced from side to side. She was going to die. The realization terrified her, but her last thought was of Jack and hoping that losing her wouldn't cause him to lose himself. Thank you so much for listening to this episode from Tales from the Heart. I hope that you enjoyed it and that you will be back to find out what happens next. Is Tess all right? Now remember, you can listen to full uncensored episodes over at reamstories.com forward slash Jenna Hart. And if you'd like to read along or get ahead in the story, you can get Old Flames Never Die from your favorite ebook retailer or save by buying direct from me. All the details and links you might need are just a click away in the description. Now, don't miss the next episode. Hit the subscribe button so you'll know when it is posted. And thank you again for listening. Until next time, this is Jenna Hart wishing you peace, love, and happily ever after.